What's up, people of Earth, and welcome to The Watcher. My name is Tabit Essa, and on today's episode, we swing into Spider-Man, into the Spider-Verse. Okay, before we get started, I just want to let you guys know that this movie was authenticated by the Comic Book Association. So that basically means that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the first official comic book movie made. Really cool, huh? Uh, The main reason they had to do this was because of the animation uh, in the movie. Uh, It's... I don't know how to explain it. The only way I can describe it is it's when you open a comic book and you see the animations and drawing and you think, oh man, how is this... You know, how would this be in, uh, like, real life? This is your imagination coming to life through the pages of a comic book. Simply put, uh, it manages to balance and capture every every block of a comic book strip and it just adds life to it. It's really good. The animation is outstanding in this movie. Uh, it makes you feel it makes you feel really really happy for being a comic book fan all your life. Um, you get to see like i said the pages of this this comic book that they've given us come to life in a way that we never expected it to uh everything from the animation to the sound effects to their thought bubbles it's all done like it's a comic book it's genius and it it definitely lends to the uh the wonder of the film uh yeah it's brilliant uh the story of the spider-verse starts with the 25 year old peter parker is going through life he's thriving He's in a great, great situation, personally, guys. He's balancing his marriage with Mary Jane wonderfully. He's doing his crime-fighting thing. He's kicking a bad guy's asses, and he's doing it effortlessly. Um, It's basically Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, just much better. Uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, if if he was done correctly. Uh, This Spider-Man is voiced by Chris Pine who captures the essence of the character perfectly. He gives us a Spider-Man that we can get behind and say, yeah, that's my guy. You know, this is the Spider-Man I've looked up to for years. Uh, He gives you an essence. uh, He gives you that essence of, damn, this guy's done a good job with the character and he's created a Spider-Man that we can all kind of see ourselves in, which is the point of Spider-Man. Yeah, it's really good. We then get to see Miles Morales, who's a teenager. He's starting at a new school. He's feeling anxious and scared, understandably. Uh, he's moving from a public school to this new private super genius school where everybody's kind of the same. It's very uniform. There's, there's no difference between you and the guy sit, sitting next to you in class. And uh, Miles is a very unique person. He's creative and he's artsy and he, and he feels like he doesn't fit in. Much like any child would if they, you know, start a new school and kind of, you know, feel that kind of, that, that, how am I going to fit in sort of uh, emotion. Uh, really nice, really allows you to anchor to the character a little if you are in that age group. Um, brings me to this point. Uh, in this movie, there's a large sort of ensemble cast of not just Spider-Men and women, but characters. And each character is, is of a different age group, a different ethnicity, a different time entirely. So you get to kind of understand, as, a, as an audience member, you get to gravitate towards a certain Spider-Man. So for, for certain people, it's Jake Johnson's 30-year-old Spider-Man, who's kind of, you know, fumbling through life, looking, looking for emotional clarity. 
you gravitate to that, towards that one. Or if you're a teenage boy, you gravitate towards Miles. Teenage girl, gravitate towards Spider-Gwen. Not just that, also if you're a woman, you get to gravitate towards Spider-Gwen. Because she's kind of, she's, she's young, but she's been doing the Spider-Man thing for so long that she's well experienced and well versed in that world of crime fighting and balancing lives and all of that. So you get, you get these strong characters that allow your audience to feel part of the film. Uh, you know, people you can resonate with on screen to help you understand their plight in the movie. Uh, it's very important. It's definitely um, something that we, we need in a movie like this. Because otherwise it's just a bunch of heroes on a screen doing some things that don't really matter. This way the audience can feel not only part of the movie, but they can feel like they're involved in the story. Because if you were thrown into a parallel universe, which Spider-Man would you react as? So it's, it's really interesting how they get the characters to feel uh, human in that essence. Uh, adds an extra tip because it's an animated movie that they did this. It kind of gives you that feeling of, damn, they did a great job. Um, also, you get to see how different experience like life experience comes into play when, when different generations are interacting with each other. It's, it, it's comedic and it's interesting and it's definitely, definitely the key reason I'd go watch this movie. Just so you can feel like Spider-Man for the day. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, getting back to Miles. Uh, Miles is now feeling different and he runs away from school to go meet up with his uncle, Aaron. Uh, Aaron Miles in the comic books is the Prowler. We found, find out later in this film that he is the Prowler as well. Uh, it's voiced by Mahershala Ali, which is perfect. Uh, he gives us um, such a strong character in Aaron Miles. He gives us this uh, sort of anchor uh, to, the, to the real world now for Miles. You know, Miles is going through this, this big life-changing event uh, where he, he, he's left his old school and he's starting a new life and he kind of feels out of place. His uncle keeps him grounded and you know, gives him a safe space to be himself. And that kind of just gives Miles the confidence to be himself. Um, Miles is showing his uncle his, his artwork from you know, the day. And his uncle is like, man, you need a place to put this up. Uh, and that's that he's meaning like a, a building or a street corner. He's talking about graffiti. So his uncle takes him down to the subway platform that's no longer used. Uh, by the, the train station in New York. Actually, pretty cool nod to uh, the Amazing Spider-Man movies where uh, in the second, was it, that they used Theodore Roosevelt's uh, hidden train car as the, the base of operations for, for Peter Parker's father. So I kind of think that this was a callback to that. In a sense, it could be wrong, but I felt that. So it's pretty cool that they threw it in. Um, anyway, Miles and his uncle find this, this platform and they start, Miles starts doing his artwork on it. And uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful little picture of the city, how he sees it, and life, how he sees it. And uh, we get a, a, a bit of an understanding into Miles' character and what he's dealing with, or what he's dealing with uh, personally. Uh, very interesting very brilliant how they managed to to animate this um it yeah it blew my mind this animation sequence was really cool because it, it it lended to their their ability in terms of uh creative decisions 
uh, talking about the people that made the movie that the creative decision to have a graffiti sequence in an animated movie was was genius because they managed to do it so well that it just tied in perfectly uh, while Miles is doing his graffiti he gets bitten by a radioactive spider from the company called Alchemex it was I think it was number 42 the spider I think it was sample 42 he gets bitten by the spider and uh, there was a really cool animation sequence here as well because as the spider bites him it takes you into the the spider bite shows you the releasing of the venom into his bloodstream and it shows you how it's attacking his cells and how now his body is changing and then it cuts out to miles just gasping going <gasps> and then he hits the spider off his hand like it doesn't really matter it was really cool very funny uh and also it was foreshadowing which is always nice to have some foreshadowing in movies uh, so then the movie kind of starts, Miles realizes he has superpowers and the first thing he grabs is a comic book. Uh, again, the world building in this movie was, was amazing because the Spider-Man voiced by Chris Pine is doing so well that he has merchandise and comic books written about him. So it's pretty cool, it gives you a little look into that, that kind of universe in a big, big way. Uh, so he's flipping through this comic book trying to figure out, you know, how, how do I go about using these powers? How do I go about controlling them? Is there a way I can get rid of them? All the stuff you'd be asking yourself if you were 17 and now have superpowers. Uh, he goes looking for his uncle, who he, to his understanding, is the only person who will kind of relate with Miles here. He's the only person who understands his situation, but unfortunately his uncle is unavailable. He's too busy being the prowler. Uh, who's a villain and who works for Wilson Fisk uh, so he can't find his uncle but he does find Spider-Man uh, so Miles basically runs down to that same subway grate that same platform where he did his artwork now looking for his uncle thinking he'd be there uh, but he doesn't find his uncle he finds Spider-Man sort of brawling with Wilson Fisk and Tombstone and the Prowler um, this is all taking place in an underground sort of science dome that Fisk had built. Uh, inside the dome is a large Hadron Collider that Fisk is trying to use to, um, to well, you know, enter into different dimensions. Uh, trying to break the barrier of quantum mechanics and uh, bring his family back because he feels that his family was ruined by Spider-Man. And he wants them to be back in his life and it's 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 really great this way you have a villain that most people can also gravitate to because he's just trying to find his family so you know no one can hold that against the man uh, long story short spider-man is about to destroy the collider and uh, prowler attacks him uh, just have one really th quick thing to add here there's a, a beautiful juxtaposition uh, of this massive Hadron Collider and the only thing that can shut it down is like a small 4 gigabyte USB uh, I thought that was really cool because it kind of shows that every big problem we have in life and in the world can be solved by the smallest of uh, smallest of things uh, you know if you're having a bad day someone giving you a compliment could turn that around so I think that juxtaposition added to this very very nicely uh it made me laugh in the theater and that's always good that's the whole point of these movies uh anyway prowler attacks and spider-man is in huge trouble as the collider goes off and uh now there's multiple dimensions collapsing in on theirs and we have 
different dimensions kind of phasing through Spider-Man and Miles' dimension. There's five to be exact. Uh, and this kind of allowed Peter to kind of understand Fisk's uh, plan a little bit better. And it lends to now the bigger plot of the movie where the Spider-Verse is, away, is you know, open. Uh, that was, I think the, the collider turning on was really cool in terms of the animation sequence. They didn't overdo it. They made it, they made it look like how it would have looked in a comic book again. It was just beautifully drawn and beautifully animated. And when brought to life, you kind of feel like you're still reading this comic book. But now there's a sort of otherworldly element added into it. Uh, things, however, don't turn out well for old Spidey. Peter Parker is killed at the age of 26 after having a massive building fall on him and Wilson first kind of just crushing him under two big fists. Um, this kind of also shows us that the Wilson Fisk in this movie is a lot stronger than the ones in the comic books. The, one, uh, the Wilson Fisk in the comic books was a very strong individual, but he never really killed anyone by punching them in the chest. Uh, this Wilson Fisk kills Spider-Man, and uh, that's that, you know. Spider-Man just met Miles. He just met someone that was like him, someone that can, you know, fight this, this, uh, this crime with him and go through this experience of life with him, and now he's dead. Uh, obviously, he promised Miles that he'd teach him, and now that's not going to happen. But there is a big, big, big uh, plot point in this scene, and that's uh, Spider-Man gives Miles the USB, you know, the world-saving USB, and tells him, promise me that you'll shut down this collider, because if Fisk turns it on again, the whole world, as you know it, is going to die. Um, it's, it's really cool, it's, it's, it's kind of Spider-Man's uh, push for responsibility in this film. He now has a... A MacGuffin in the USB and he has to get the MacGuffin to the collider and fix everything uh, it's it's good use of story it's good good use of creativity it's good writing it's everything we'd want from a spider-man into the spider-verse movie it is actually kind of ripped from the comic books just they killed Peter off a little earlier uh, but still it's done very well, it's done amazingly, and it's, it, it kind of shows you how good these characters are and how wonderfully well they were acted and created. Um, Miles then takes the USB and immediately runs away. He's then hunted down by the Prowler. Uh, obviously, both of them don't know who each other are because they're wearing masks. Um, Prowler is chasing down Miles and... Miles is running for his life. Uh, we then uh, he then gets away, or I think it, it was kind of ambiguous because Prowler causes like a, a car accident type of thing on the street. There's this massive collision, and his bike blows up, but then he's safe on a roof. So I don't know if if Miles got away or Prowler just let him get away. Uh, it's it's never really explored further. Uh, but now we kind of have the, you know, to adjust the world without Spider-Man. Uh, the news stories obviously have it wrong. They blame the earthquake caused by the Collider for Spider-Man's death. You know, no one knows that Fisk killed him. Uh, no one's aware of the true events of, of his death. You know, only Miles does. And this kind of 
gives Miles a reason to, to push forward with his promise that he made Peter. Um, most importantly, we get to see Mary Jane for the first time. She is voiced by Zoe Kravitz. Uh, she's giving a speech uh, at the, uh, the Capitol building in New York, kind of just telling the world that Spider-Man was the everyday hero. You know, anyone can be Spider-Man. Anyone can wear the mask. It was a, a very nice nod to Stan Lee, uh, who, when he created Spider-Man and was asked about him, he used to always say, you know, Spider-Man is Spider-Man's the greatest superhero because of his costume. Because when, when kids of you know, any creed and culture see the, the Spider-Man costume, they can feel that that's them. You know, looking at Spider-Man, you don't really see who he is. You just see the suit. So anyone could be under there. It could be a girl, could be a guy, could be you know a white guy, a black guy, Indian guy, whatever. Whoever you think it could be, and whoever you want it to be, that's Spider-Man, and that's what's always been great about the character. So this was just a really nice nod to Stan Lee. It was a wonderful sermon for him, you know, after his passing. Um, this is a sweet, sweet gesture, gesture, and a beautiful moment in a movie. Um, now we get to see our movie develop a little more. You know, Miles is in the crowd hearing Mary Jane's speech uh, with his crappy... He goes, he goes to buy this, like, uh, Halloween Spider-Man costume because everyone that's at the, the uh, kind of, you know, gathering is all in Spider-Man garb. So he just got this really crappy Halloween costume and he puts the mask on and he's standing in the crowd and while Mary Jane is talking, like, you know, to the, to the world about Spider-Man's death, Miles resonates with it the most because in his heart of hearts, he knows that he's the only one that can step up. He's the only one that can now wear the mask um, and, and do what Spider-Man did because he has the same powers and the same abilities. And uh, he, he's now getting responsibility thrown at him. Um, uh, Miles is kind of now realizing that he has to get his life together and he, he starts training. So he takes his comic book and he flips through the pages and he sees how the Spider-Man in the comic book learned to, you know, use his powers. He climbs a building, uh, he jumps off the building and now he's supposed to throw a web so he can start swinging through Manhattan. This does not happen. Uh, he fails, he falls and he breaks the MacGuffin, he breaks the USB. The USB is destroyed, the collider can now not be turned off. Uh, this now thickens the plot of our story and gives us a little bit of a interesting plot point and uh, plot twist because uh, now Miles walks up to Peter's grave and now apologizes for you know failing him and not being able to do uh, or fulfill the promise that he, he made to Peter. Uh, we then meet Peter B. Parker who is voiced by Jake Johnson. Uh, this is um, this is really cool because they did this this awesome thing in the movie where whenever the new a new Spider-Man or Spider-Woman was introduced, they had this transition where it faded to black and then they just dropped a comic book on a table. And then the comic book opens and then that actor starts talking and then showing you his life. Uh, it was a it was a pretty sick trans, uh, transition that gave gave life to again the comic books that we were seeing in the movie. Uh, Peter B. Parker is a 30-year-old Spider-Man who's experienced. He's been there. He's been to every rodeo there possibly has been. He knows exactly what the villains are going to say before they say it. 
he knows exactly how he's going about um you know crime fighting and how he's going to get things done uh he's he's extremely experienced at being spider-man but on a personal level he's he's run down he's out of shape you know his his and mary jane's marriage ended because you know she wanted kids and he didn't and he's emotionally he's broken so you kind of have again there's a new new element to this movie it's a new character that the audience can relate to uh you know when i went to watch it i went to watch it with a group of friends and uh, you know one of them kind of related really hardly with Jake Johnson's Spider-Man and it it it's nice to see that when films of the superhero variety try and do this thing where they have characters that act as um sort of surrogates for the audience you, you and they do it properly you get to see it play out when like you have in the theater and you have someone sitting next to you that's like damn man i feel that guy you know i understand him uh it's interesting and it's exciting to see happen uh and Jake Johns Johnson did such a good job uh in capturing the essence of this character you know it's it's the perfect guy uh, to to voice this character they they couldn't have done any better in the in the casting of the Spider-Man Um anyway, uh he walks up to Miles in the cemetery and he's now obviously trying to ask him for help, see what his story is. And uh, Miles who is now obviously scared because the prowler is after him, uh uses one of his many different powers uh of this like electro shock thing that he has. It's it's pretty cool. It's uh, uh his his body kind of fills up with this uh electricity and he can transfer it or you know use it through his webs or you know through his touch and uh it's it was really cool how they showed it to us uh in the, in the animation it's kind of just his veins that light up with the electricity uh which is which is dope um because when you see it animated it it blows like it it blows you away because it's so it's a small detail that you wouldn't think they care about in the animation studio but they do and that kind of makes it more uh interesting and more cool to see um anyway peter touches him he gets electrocuted uh miles then turns around and sees this dude looks like the peter parker from my universe just older and with brown hair and he's got the damn suit on and then he's like oh no did i just kill spider-man again um really cool leads to a big chase sequence uh miles now carrying peter parker the old rundown peter parker through uh new york using his web shooter to kind of create webs and help them sling across buildings and stuff uh it's a brilliant scene brilliant sequence uh the action is capt- captured beautifully it lends to like the the brilliance of the animation it it shows you everything you'd want to see in a chase scene just in cartoon form um Miles then shoots a web onto a train and the train is kind of carrying them off and once they're safely away Miles wakes Peter up and then they go get food. Um <laughs> so once uh, once we get to the diner and they're getting food um Peter and Miles now discuss this this sort of world-changing thing that happened to both of them. Peter explains um you know about his universe and what's happened in his universe and how life is in his universe and then Miles is just like oh yeah and our our Spider-Man is dead and we have to stop them and the only way we can do it is with this and he takes out the broken USB and then Peter's like you broke the USB and then that becomes another plot point 
that uh, kind of enhances the the furthering of the story um they now build a uh, a plan to get a new usb uh peter peter b parker is now like okay so now i have to go and steal the same thing that your guys stole and then plug it into the collider and save the world um they get they devise the plan they get to alchemax and then there's a problem wilson fisk is that problem uh it turns out that wilson fisk is working with alchemax because the scientist that helped him build his hadron collider is olivia octavius who is um the doctor octopus in um, this universe in miles's universe uh so it's pretty cool as as uh, another layer to a plot that's been building quite nicely uh now we get to see peter this this 30-year-old peter in action he he breaks this plan down and he executes it beautifully he, he knows everything that's going to happen and he accounts for it you know he has a plan on top of a plan on top of a plan it shows you just how experienced he is at being spider-man and how experienced he is at doing the the superhero thing um they get to the main computer Peter gets the password. Miles and him get inside the building and now they're on the computer and then Doc Ock walks in. Doc Ock sees Peter, throws him into a chair, kind of locks him up, takes a cotton swab of his mouth because now she's obviously in on the thing that no one knew at the point. She's Dr. Octopus. Um wonderful little uh tidbit here is that Miles has another power that's different to Spider-Man. He can turn invisible. So now he's at the computer trying to remember the password and he's invisible and then while Peter is distracting uh Octavius he just turns the computer around and he's like what's the rest of the password and um you know Peter manages to work it into conversation and then they get the password and Miles opens up her desktop and it's a mess all the files are all over the place and uh he makes it he makes a little joke about you know her having to clean up her desktop and her you know her windows Um it was funny it was a moment of levity in a, a serious situation that's always important because it it helps the audience kind of feel like they in a movie uh so you have that kind of that feeling of oh okay fine they the heroes they're going to be fine um eventually miles just gets fed up of looking for this folder and he steals the entire computer um they now on the run from dark arc and wilson first Doc Ock is just tearing through the building uh trying to catch them. Uh they do eventually get out of the building and now they are web-slinging through this forest. This is the first time in the movie you get to see Miles sort of learn anything. Um Jake Johns's Peter Parker is is you know thwipping through trees and he's like, "Okay, so this is how you do it. You point, you shoot, you double tap to release, you release again, you pull, you release." You know, it's it's like he teaches him how to web swing. And uh it's the first time in the movie you kind of feel, you know, Miles is is growing as not just a character but as Spider-Man. Uh it's wonderful. It's a little caveat on top of a, a beautiful story that's filming. Um sadly Doc Ock does catch up to them. She tears through the forest and she does catch up with them. But she does not catch them because there's a third Spider-Person. Spider-Gwen shows up, webs up Doc Ock kicks her butt, takes the computer, and then the three of them get out of there. 
the three of them then kind of introduce themselves again. We learn a little bit about Spider-Gwen. Uh, Spider-Gwen is Gwen Stacy, who in her universe, was she was bitten by the radioactive spider. Uh, she fell in love with Peter. Peter then becomes the lizard and then dies. So she also around the age of Miles Morales, but she's been doing it a lot longer than him. Uh, so everybody is a, way more experienced than Miles is at being Spider-Man. And um, they also have their own little defects as people. You know, for Gwen, she's now kind of thrown herself in a little bit from from making friends and being friendly because Peter, who was her last friend, died. And it was, you know, in her mind because of her her fault. Um, um, Earlier in the movie, Miles and Gwen kind of meet each other in school. uh, And it was this little meet-cute between the two that kind of lends to the, the formation and the growth of their now friendship. Uh, it was really interesting, it was really cool, and um, now our three spies have a little grasp of who each other are, and they make their way to one May Parker. Uh, Aunt May in this movie is, uh, is really cool because she's, she's kind of the guy in the chair. She was the guy in the chair for the, the Chris Pine Spider-Man. Uh, she takes them down to the shed where the spider cave is hidden, and uh, you get to see all the suits, you know, you get the... Uh, the amazing Spider-Man suits in there and the, the new uh, Tom Holland live-action Spidey suits in there. You have the Sorcerer Spider-Man from the, the Doctor Strange comic arc where he becomes the Sorcerer Supreme for like a day. They have that one and it's got a cape. Um, it's super cool. Uh, it's, really, it's really a wonderful uh, way to depict just how well that Miles' Spider-Man was in this universe. It's, it's, it shows that he's been... He's been there, you know, and it, it kind of gives lens to that character even more. So, although we only had Chris Pine Spider-Man in the movie for like the first 10 minutes, every time there's another scene or a new introduction of a Spider-Man, we, we understand just how good Chris Pine Spider-Man was in this universe. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. It's, it's really awesome how they managed to do that, where the character just keeps growing even beyond the grave. Uh, just shows how influential and impactful he is on this universe. Uh, so now we get to meet our new teammates, guys. There's three more. We have uh, Spider-Man Noir, who is the Spidey from like a World War II era Great Depression, where DC uh, Marvel Comics kind of just lent from DC a little, and they made this grittier, darker universe. And Spider-Man is uh, still Peter Parker, just born in the 20s, and he's. Uh, He's the ultimate detective. Uh, he's voiced by Nicolas Cage. Uh, definitely the standout performance in this movie, in my opinion. Nicolas Cage gave us uh, kind of uh, all his moments were moments of levity. I don't know if that was just because I find Nicolas Cage funny or if that was the intention. But if it was, he was brilliant. The character was done fantastically uh, and developed beautifully as well. You know, they didn't really just make him uh, Batman if he was Spider Man. They gave him a personality and they gave him quips and they made him funny and he was he was everything you want from Peter Parker, just he was a different Peter Parker. Uh, we then have Penny Parker, who uh, she's a she's a young girl from New York in the year 3000. Uh, her whole story is she has a telepathic link with the with a spider, and her father, who is a scientist, uh, her late father, who was a scientist. 
uh, both of this kind of mech suit that her and the spider get into and then they become spider-man using that suit uh i really enjoyed this uh you know it's a brand brand new character for for all of us uh she's only she hasn't even gotten her own comic book series yet you know fully there's only like a few books out mentioning penny parker uh but what i liked about it is from a fan's perspective they didn't jam the character down our throats they gave her this very very short and sweet introduction where we get to know who she is and we get to know her life and we get to know you know how her powers work but we not it's not saturated with your dribble about the character it's just a quick introduction and then she starts kicking ass so it was a nice addition to the team and it kind of allowed us as comic book fans and fans of the movies to move on and be like okay cool penny parker is a thing i'm processing it she's dope let's move on uh finally we have spider ham peter parker ladies and gentlemen voiced by john mulaney uh <laughs> spider ham is uh uh <laughs> spider man's brilliant uh he's a radio he's not actually radioactive he's a spider in his universe he's a spider that's bitten by a radioactive pig and he then becomes Spider-Man. Um he changes his name to Peter Parker and he moves in with a another pig lady named May Parker who has dementia and he just tells her look I'm your nephew and you know we cool I love with you and that's that's the situation. Uh <laughs> Spider-Ham ladies and gentlemen. Uh John Ham does a fantastic job. Uh he gives a comedic relief and very much just comedic relief there's no more to the character uh we do get to see him in action when he faces against scorpion he's pretty badass spider-ham handles himself well but it's also it's very spider-ham is super looney tunes like he pulls out mallets from his pocket and you know it's 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 brilliant it's funny and it's everything you want from you know having a radioactive pig with spider powers Uh so now we have our whole team and they now hatch their plan to shut down the collider. Uh but they also want to get Miles up to speed on being Spider-Man. So they're all trying to train him and they just get to a point where they turn to to Jake Johnson Spider-Man and they're like you got to stop lying to yourself. You know, he's not ready. We have to do this without him. And they devise a plan to shut down the collider without him. Penny creates the another USB that they can use to shut it down and they have their plan to get to Fisk's lab, shut down the collider and save the world. One problem is because Miles is not helping them, one of the new Spider-Man have to stay behind. And Peter Peter Parker, the 30-year-old Peter Parker decides that's him. You know, he's lived the most life. He doesn't want to go back to his world because he feels he's messed it up so much. uh on a on a personal level that he has nothing to return to so he says I'll stay behind um this kind of this is interesting because uh Miles obviously doesn't want to be useless and be benched but they're not giving him a say and the fact that he doesn't have control over his powers doesn't give him a strong enough argument to be like hey guys I can help um We then get some conflict as Prowler, Tombstone and Scorpion show up at Aunt May's house to fight all the Spider-Men. Miles now has the USB and they tell him to run. He starts running. Prowler chases after him. Uh it gets to a point where they're on a roof 
and Miles takes off his mask and shows his uncle that it's him. At this point, Miles knows that uh, his uncle Aaron is Prowler from a previous scene uh, where Miles went to his uncle's apartment and Prowler showed up and took off the mask and he saw his uncle. So Miles kind of knew and now his uncle is holding him by the throat over a very tall building about to kill him and he just takes off his mask and his uncle goes, oh, Miles. And then he takes off his mask, puts Miles down, steps back and then Wilson Fish shoots him dead. Um, Miles then takes his uncle and shoots off into a dark alleyway where now he's, you know, he's coping, he's sad, he's huddled over his uncle and he's crying. We then see Miles' father show up. Uh, his father is a police, he's a cop, he's a policeman. Uh, he shows up, he sees the, this kid in a Spider-Man costume and a dead body. Uh, Miles then turns invisible, climbs up a wall, dad doesn't see where he goes. And uh, now his father is, you know, suspicions peak. And he thinks that this new Spider-Man killed his brother. Uh, it's interesting, but it also it, it they kind of didn't follow it through because at the end of the movie, the cop, his dad's just like, "Oh, you know, I had you wrong." There's no really, con- there's no real continuation to that kind of plot point. Um, but hey, you know, it's a small problem in an otherwise great movie. Um, then there's this really beautiful moment uh, where the all the Spider-Men uh, and uh, all the spider people kind of uh, tell Miles, look, dude, you're not going to be part of this. You're not ready. You're just going to make it harder for us to do our job. They web him up, web him to a chair, and now he's stuck in his, in his dorm room, you know, waiting for, for events to happen. Um, his dad comes to the door, and his dad gives him this heartfelt speech about, like, you know, how much he loves him and how much he cares for him. And then Miles kind of just clicks into gear and he, he realizes his responsibility and you know the power that he has the responsibility that comes with that he accepts all of it and he he takes this leap of faith and he becomes spider-man for the first time he like met in the movie he mans up and takes control of the action and events happening in his life um this kind of gives us our third act you know miles goes to to aunt may gets himself a suit um Basically just takes Peter's old suit, spray paints it black and red, really dope because it shows you that Miles is, you know, it gives you that, yeah, you remember Miles is creative and he's into the graffiti and stuff, but also it, it is that, you know, Miles does become Spider-Man, he takes over, he carries the mantle over from, from Peter, uh, so it was a nice little moment, it was a nice uh, impactful scene. Uh, that we got to see in a, in in in, uh, in animation, which is pretty cool. Uh, again, we get to see the spray can animation come out through the spray paint, which is really cool. I liked how they did that. Uh, it felt very real. Uh, when when they used uh, spray paint, it felt very very real, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that kind of closes our third act. Miles gets his act together, shows up, saves the day, shuts down the collider, beats Wilson first. Um, you know, gets everybody safely back to their timelines and their universes. Um, it was all in all just a great movie. There was a, a closing scene that gave us, as an audience, it was a, like a catharsis. You know, we felt, yes, Wilson first got his and everyone is safely back in their time zones. Everything's awesome. Um, the best parts in this movie were definitely Jake Johnson's Spider-Man. Uh, he's this... It's like fantastic sort of master who becomes the, the student 
in the movie you know he he's supposed to teach miles you learn he doesn't really teach him much of anything everything miles does in that third act miles does out of his own uh you know no one taught him anything it's just instinct it's him accepting his powers and taking responsibility you know um it's it, miles kind of has his uncle ben moment in the third act you know he, he realizes you know the world's going down shit's happening i need to man up i need to sort this out i need to become spider-man and he does it um no one really teaches him anything it's wonderful how they did that where miles as a character can now be his own person he doesn't have to worry about uh, oh did you know did, did peter say i can do this did, is this what they taught me there's no second guessing it's effortless he just comes in he's self-aware he knows what he can do and he does it he manages to control all his powers uh effortlessly and he saves the day and he does a good job about it you know he, does, he goes about it well um so yeah the best parts in this movie are definitely jake johnson spider-man uh he acts as kind of this this foil to to the peter parker we see at the beginning of the movie because however they both have their lives together one has his life together in part uh you know uh, peter b parker jake johnson uh, peter parker only has the spider-man part of his life down emotionally and on a personal side his life is in shambles uh which is also kind of another nod to the live action spider-man movies where uh the contrast between toby maguire and andrew garfield were toby maguire toby maguire was a very good peter parker but he was a terrible spider-man and andrew garfield was an amazing spider-man excuse the pun but he was a terrible peter parker so that was kind of also a little nod to the live action universe um which is really cool I think they did the nods to the to the the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the extended cinematic universes very well. Um the animation was a stroke of genius. You know, each character is given a different type of animation. The animation ranges from you know straight 2D uh picture drawn animation to 3D generated uh imaging. It's it's wonderful. You know, in Penny Parker's case, she's more of an anime type of character, so she has a Japanese sort of animation flair to her character. Uh Spider-Man Noir is very 2D, very plain, all in black. Uh you know as he comes from a simpler time, not just in the world but also in the comic book history. Uh then we have our Spider-Man, you know, Peter Parker, 3D animation straight up, Miles, Gwen, uh Peter B Parker, they all straight up 3D animation. Uh each character is captured beautifully. in their animation um it helps their personality come through it helps their you know their their emotions come through through their the facial expressions that their their animation allows them to do and it's it's wonderful it it was it was exciting to see and it it the way they they wove the characters in to to one another's stories was just seamless and effortless and it made the movie that much more exciting um And also the wonderful thing about this movie is that it it superseded expectations. You know, like when I went into this movie I thought, "Oh, it's just going to be a animation, you know, it's going to be Toy Story if Spider-Man was part of it." But it blew me away. Like it 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 was amazing and fantastic and ultimate and spectacular. <laughs> uh it was all the Spider-Man in one universe doing their thing. Um I I was blown away by it and I guarantee you will be too. Um well I guess that's my time. Thank you guys again for listening. I appreciate you so much. But oh. Oh, oh. Wait. 
before I forget, we have a post-credit scene that we must discuss. Uh, uh, the post-credit scene in this movie is um, it's it's Spider-Man 2099. He he's now you know talking to his his AI computer and she's sending him back in time. She sends him to Earth 67 and we kind of get you know that Spider-Man meme where the two Spider-Men are pointing at each other. <laughs> We get a, a little live representation of that meme, uh, and it was it was funny and uh, cute, but also leaves the door open quite largely for a sequel that may come down the line. Um, Spider-Man 2099 is Miguel O'Hara, uh, he's um, probably, in my opinion, the coolest of the Spider-Men from the, the Into the Spider-Verse comic book arc series. Um, He's, he's this badass, gritty crime fighter uh, who's just, you know, living life, battling. Uh, he's, he comes from like a dystopia where crime kind of just controls the world. And his Spider-Man just gave up after a while. And he had to take over and, you know, be the man in that, that, that world. Uh, his story is interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with him if there is a sequel or when we get the sequel because this movie is definitely going to make enough money for the sequel um, it'll be interesting to see how they develop his character it's voiced by Oscar Isaac so great actor definitely going to be done well in terms of animation and creative you know, decisions um, so I'm excited to see how they do Miguel O'Hara or O'Hara whichever pronunciation you prefer um I really think it would be cool to see him team up with Miles and the, the bigger ensemble cast. Plus, it also shows you that the Spider-Verse is not yet, you know, concluded. There's still more Spider-Verse to explore. Um, and yeah, it was a really cool scene. Led to exciting things, giving us hope for sequels and whatnot. And uh, I'm just excited. Can't wait for it. So in closing, thanks again for the support. And remember, we can all wear the mask. So go out and find your Uncle Ben moment and go kick some ass. Peace.